pressure. Drops. Thibodeau. All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone, and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick a 50. We are back with another edition of First Draft. Field Yates, Mel Kuyper Jr., and Todd McShay. On Monday, we recapped Super Bowl 56, which means that the offseason has begun for every single team, the Rams and the Bengals now included. But as you all know, the NFL never sleeps. It's just around the corner is the 2022 NFL Combine. Great to have it back after last year's hiatus due to COVID-19. The event is in prime time, something that started just a couple of years ago, March 1st to March 7th. ESPN has tons of coverage, and nearly 325 players have been invited officially to the event, which brings us to the topic of the day here. As we take stock of these nearly 325 players, I want to know which position groups stand out as the deepest and those that maybe leave you wanting more. And Todd, I'll begin with you. Which position group or groups is the deepest? I think the edge guys, edge defenders. You know, it's loaded and it starts up at the top. We've been talking about Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan as a potential number one overall pick since the process began. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is... To me, from Oregon, yeah, his stock is slightly shifting here and there. Some guys like him a little bit more than others, but there's no questioning his talent level. He's an explosive straight-line power player out of Oregon. He's, he's going to be somewhere in that, I would guess, 4 to 10 range in this draft. And after that, the depth is what's so intriguing. You've got Trayvon Walker from Georgia, who I think is going to be a better pro than college player. Uh, you've got beyond that uh, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, who had a phenomenal uh, week of practice at the Senior Bowl. You see his length and his ability to, with his explosive long arms and ability to get to the quarterback. David Ajabo, who's not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination coming out of Michigan, uh, but he, he probably has the quickest first step and has the most explosive burst around the edge of any of these edge rushers. And beyond that, you've got um, uh, George Karlaftis from, from Purdue, who's a kind of a power player, can play inside and outside, and always around the ball, pressuring guys. Um, Boye Mafe, who we've talked about earlier this week in the, in the podcast, from Minnesota, so explosive, had a phenomenal week at the Senior Bowl against really good offensive linemen. Uh, Logan Hall can play kind of inside-outside five technique, however you want to play him out of Houston. And even beyond that, Maje Sanders is another guy from uh, from Cincinnati who's who's just long and athletic. So I've got what was that like eight or nine guys right there in my top fifty that are edge rushers in this year's class. There are some other positions. I'll let Mel get to some other ones that jump out to him. But I think if you're not getting an elite quarterback in the draft, the next most important position is pass rusher, and this year's group is loaded. I'm with you on that, Todd. I think the, the pass rushers, both inside and outside, some disruptive defensive tackles. You saw Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma and what he was able to do. You saw offensive linemen at the senior role not be able to block those defensive linemen, both inside guys and the outside rushers. So I look at an Alex Wright from UAB, you know, six 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 seven. Tremendous length, that great versatility. So you're going to be able to get, and we've seen historically in the NFL draft, some pretty good pass rushers have lasted until day three or late day two. Think about where Trey Hendrickson, what is he, like a third-round pick. And look what he's doing coming out of Florida Atlanta yep. now with the Bengals. And the list goes on and on. But I think corner 
is a position where Houston Cougars have a couple guys. And I think the depth at corner, if you try to say who's my top 10, it's hard to separate the seventh guy from the 15th guy. So cornerback provides some depth. Mm-hmm. Wide receiver, I talked about Sky Moore, Western Michigan, Kyle Phillips, UCLA, Alec Pierce, Cincinnati. I've liked him all year. Uh, I think wide receiver, both slot and the outside guys, is going to be a position that creates some opportunities on day three as well. All right, so we got those as the strengths of this year's combine. Mel, if you were to look at the players, uh, maybe at the, the position groups that are, are, are leaving you wanting more, I think we all agree that quarterback is not as strong this year as it was last year. Is there anybody, is there any other spot you say, like, you know what, I'm just not totally sold on this group this season? Yeah, the tight ends this year, there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, a couple of them weren't invited to the combine that I thought could be in the top 10. But, you know, Kate Otten, Washington, you wanted to see him emerge. It really didn't happen. You know, Kohler at Iowa State, okay, but not the top guy. You know, you really, right now, Trey McBride, Dulcich at UCLA is enough. There's really, you're going to look at a lot of tight ends that are going to be more day three. Uh, I think you look at the offensive linemen after the early group. There's a lot of mixed opinion, Todd, on the guys who are going to go in that third to fifth round area, both at tackle, guard, even center depth is lacking. But the tackle, guard group, yep. a lot of mixed opinion on those players. Senior Bowl, you saw them being dominated up front for the most part by those defensive linemen. So offensive line, we talked about the Bengals needing two to three offensive linemen being brought into the fold. Duke Tobin and his staff have done a phenomenal job evaluating players. They need to do so again this year if you're going to bring off the right offensive linemen into your football team yeah I, I would say running backs another position I, I, I'm so tired I'm exhausted just thinking about the conversation with Kuiper and no first round like when there's not first round talent yeah Mel I'm not going to put a, a running back in the first round I'm not I'm not li- I'm not waking up reading the the Kuiper Bible and, and all of, you know all of your, your chapters and verses in there but to me this year's class it just it comes up short there are some good backs but there's not a single back in this class where I say yeah, he's the next Derrick Henry or he's the, you know, whoever it is. He's the next guy who's going to come in and take the league by storm. There's just not that player. Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, really good player. But I think in a rotation, that's where you're going to, you're going to get the most out of him. Uh, Kenneth Walker, the third from Michigan State, he had a phenomenal year. He tore apart that really good Michigan defense. Had some big games for, for the Spartans this year. I think he's a, a complete back, a good back, but I don't think he's at that elite level. I think those are both two, you know, second round picks somewhere in that mid, mid late second round range. Brees Hall, I like him. He's a grinder, runs low to the ground, yards after contact. But is he going to be that dynamic weapon and a home run hitter? Uh, and then you got James Cook and a couple other guys who are more, you know, I, I want to say change of pace backs, put them in the slot, go catch the, catch the ball and, and create in the passing game. I think Cook's just as valuable coming out of Georgia as a, a slot receiver or a receiver out of the backfield as he is as a runner. And I think he's a 10 to 12 touch per game kind of guy, but I don't know that he's ever going to be a 20 touch per game uh, kind of player in the NFL. So there's a there's a lot of good players that you can kind of insert and fill a void, but there's no one coming in, in my opinion, from what I've seen in this class, where you say, all right, we're set at running back for the next five years. We locked him up with a five-year contract as a first-rounder, and, and we're good to go in that area. Todd, you mentioned Derrick Henry. That's a revisionist history. It was a second-round pick. Mm. So you know, now everybody, oh, you know, Derrick Henry's great, but Derrick Henry didn't go in the first round. Derrick Henry went in the second round. And a lot you of got my point, Kuiper. You're always splitting it. hairs, man. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not splitting. I'm giving you facts. Facts are that Derrick Henry now wasn't viewed that way when he came out. 
If you'd have been talking about him then, you weren't raving about Derrick Henry as the next great running back coming into the NFL that should have been a top 10 to 15 pick, but somehow got into the second round. I think Brees Hall is a good football player at Iowa State. He'll be a second round pick more than likely. You mentioned Walker, Spiller. I like Kyron Williams at Notre Dame coming in as maybe a third round pick. I think there's other guys. You mentioned yep. James Cook's versatility. I think there's going to be some pretty good running backs coming off the board uh, you know, down the line just a bit uh, that, that because of the fact that teams have bought in it, if you look at most of these teams, Todd, they have a couple backs. They have, some have two, three backs that are pretty doggone good. So the need isn't necessarily there. Plus, people have bought into that philosophy that I had, okay, that you should not take a running back in round one because you're getting the best out of them early on after year three what's happening, and you saw the big money that some of them got that didn't really pan out and didn't work uh, you know, to their benefit, and you can get these running backs. You can get them from the second round on every year, Todd. It works that way. So I think the depth of running backs, okay, not great, uh, but because of the philosophy teams have taken from me, Todd, uh, and have kind of used that. I can't, I, honestly, I, I, it's Monday after the Super Bowl. I'm trying to enjoy just kind of, you know, rehashing the whole season. I'm trying to have a nice Monday here at home, and, and you're just – you're ruining it with nonsense. But I'm, I'm not going to be – Pulled in. I, you know, namaste. I'm, I'm in a happy place. Look at this. this Restrained from Todd McShay. You know what we'll do? I'll be the peacemaker here. We're going to wrap things up. He has no battle. He has no argument. That's why he backs off. I know McShay. Like, you changed no the entire league's philosophy on drafting running backs. Like, Maybe. oh, my well, goodness. Finally, well, let's just say, Todd, let me just say this. Then they finally figured it out without my help. Okay? They finally figured it out on their own. Let's go. I'll say that. How's there that? You. Are you okay Jr., you are a trend. Right. a little easier tonight. Not just the godfather of draft coverage, but also a draft trend setter. We'll be back in just a minute, but first, three times a week you can get the right time with Bomani Jones, the podcast that brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, he has a community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth, for Foxworth Fridays. That's the right time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get to your podcasts, and Wednesdays and Fridays podcasts are also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Uh, moving things forward here, 
and glad to have one of my favorite co-workers at ESPN. If you follow the Cincinnati Bengals, you are aware of Ben Baby's work. If you want to learn more about the Cincinnati Bengals, you should go follow Ben Baby, Ben underscore Baby on Twitter. Read him, listen to him on this podcast, watch him on TV. He's been a very busy man over these past few weeks. Ben, thanks for joining, this, uh, joining the show. Yeah, Field, it's a uh, it's crazy. I didn't think my season would be uh, taking me into February. I would have thought that I would have started some pre-draft stuff a couple weeks ago, but uh, who would have thought the Bengals would be uh, going to the Super Bowl for the first time in 33 years? It's been a, it's been quite a few weeks. If you were expecting to be in 90-degree weather in the early portions of February, it would be because you were back home in your state of Texas, not out in California, based off of preseason expectations. I mean, they had the fifth longest odds to make the Super Bowl. What a run. Yeah, you know, I just asked uh, you know Zach Taylor about this. He got an extension to, through the 2026 season. And, you know, throughout the course of the year, you know, we wrote it, and I think everybody knew it. This was going to be a make-or-break year for him. He obviously going into year four, you know, you really can't leave a coach on a lame duck year on the last year of his deal. Yeah. Uh, you either had to extend him or you had to part ways with him. And, and so, you know, one of those two things you you thought was going to happen, especially after six wins in two years. And, and Zach Taylor was not only able to kind of buoy that and, and be good under pressure, but he was able to help the team thrive and put them in a position uh, to go for, to play for a Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, you know, those preseason odds, they were not wrong. I don't think anybody expected them to do what they did. But I think now they set up, you know, nicely for at least the next couple of years, depending on what happens this postseason. I got a good friend who lives in Cincinnati and had two tickets before the season. Cincinnati against the Rams and Cincinnati against the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Going into that anti championship game, because at that point, since he had won, he was like, I'm sitting pretty. I got a ticket no matter what happens in this next game. But let's talk about the offseason. I, I was looking back at some teams that came up short in the Super Bowl in recent years, and I realized that in the days after the Super Bowl, this reaction tends to be usually pretty visceral and strong, and it highlights a weakness of a team. That being said, they were good enough to make it to within five minutes of winning the Super Bowl. So this roster is not inherently flawed, but we can't ignore what feels like the elephant in the room right now. And we talked about it on Monday's show. The offensive line is clearly a point of focus for Cincinnati this offseason. If you were to evaluate the players that not, not necessarily starting in the Super Bowl, that, but, but that were starting and playing a good amount during the regular season, do you? how many of them do you view as fixed pieces of the core of the offensive line going forward and how many spots would you say are quote unquote up for grabs going into 2022? It's a really good question field. I, I would say to be quite honest, one, and that's left tackle Jonah Williams. And even yeah. then, you know, they could, if they wanted to move him to right tackle, depending on what happens or what they did, um, you know, that's that's what I think what would occur. I, I think that right now, I think they like Jonah Williams enough at left tackle. We'll see how that changes throughout the offseason. But when you look at this unit as a whole, Zach Taylor, uh, you know, didn't want to throw them under the bus in his you know press conference on Wednesday. But anybody who watched this offense, the last, especially during the postseason, knows that the Bengals were unable to do much of anything offensively because of the inability to pass block. You know, the Bengals and Zach Taylor at his core is a guy who likes to run a lot of 11 personnel. Uh, Burrow loves empty. So that means a lot of five-man protections. And you need a good offensive line to do that. Unfortunately for the Bengals, especially after Tennessee sacked Burrow nine times, you know, that's just not something they could do. They had to pick their spots and, you know, they almost won the Super Bowl in perhaps one of the most ugly fashions and with good defense, some field goals and, and some turnovers. And so, you know, this, this offensive line is really going to need to be evaluated when you look at it. 
the Bengals have not used premium picks. You know, I think, well, I take that back. They have used premium picks uh, on the offensive line. They just haven't always worked out. Right. And so I think that, you know, when you look at who they have on there now, projected as starters currently, the Bengals need to go find upgrades, whether it be in the free, whether it be in free agency or in the draft. And, and I think a lot of people will look at that 31st overall pick as, as the one that needs to be used uh, in the trenches. So they actually have like a pretty clean sheet of assets going forward. The Bengals have every pick that you are allowed to have at this point. You can't trade draft picks more than three years out. So every NFL team as of right now has all their 2025 picks, but the Bengals also have their 2022, 2023, and 2024 picks as you and I are speaking, plus an additional seventh from the Giants and the Billy Price trade which began or took place last off season. So they have basically all their resources. They also have a bunch of cap space. And of course, free agency precludes the draft. The Bengals have been atypically busy in free agency each of the past two off seasons, especially last year. Guys like Trey Hendrickson were difference-making pieces for them this past year. And, and the list goes well beyond Trey Hendrickson, obviously. But look at some of their, look, look at their captain list right now. Von Bell, a guy acquired in free agency just a couple of years ago. Chidobi Awuzi was one of the best values in free agency this past offseason. And this is probably an impossible question to ask hours after the Super Bowl is over, but would you get the sense and how this team has evolved over the past couple of years that free agency will once again be a busy time for them this year because that could reshape the complexion of their offensive line before we even get to pick 31. Yeah, you know, I think that's a, a great point. You know, they have a lot of cap space. Now, granted, they are going to have to, you know, I believe they have some 30-some-odd folks on the roster right now, so they're going to have to refill a lot of those spots and even get back up to the top 51, which is what your cap will be counted as uh, throughout the offseason. But, you know, I, I think that there is going to be enough money and flexibility. And, and the question is, too, is offensive line, when you draft an offensive lineman, even in the first round, Making that transition from college to the pros is probably the toughest mm. in, at that position than any other position uh, on the field, even quarterback, I would say. I think you can come in and Joe Burrow showed you can be a good enough quarterback. Uh, Justin Herbert showed that as well at times. You know, you can you can be a first round pick as a quarterback, come in and play uh, in the NFL and it'd be, you know, not the not a seamless transition, but a doable transition. Whereas offensive linemen, it's really tough. You know, it, it's a big ask to, to go out and do that. Uh, you know, as a rookie and the Bengals tried it with, with second round pick Jackson Carmen to come in and be a right guard. It, it just did not work out for, for myriad reasons. And, and, you know, if you get a guy, you know, at 31, you know, you're, if you want to put him at, at tackle or, you know, or, or whatever, wherever, you know, you, that's a big ask for them. So you're going to need somebody who's able to do that. So I think if you're able to get some veterans and even guys that if you slot in and say, you know, maybe we go draft somebody in the first round, we want him to be a starter, but if he's not ready, We've got somebody who's a depth piece that, that has some experience who can come in. I think that's also good, and, and it helps your draft development as well because you're not putting all this pressure on a rookie to come in immediately be the savior of this offensive line that everyone knows has been bad because whoever – I mean, it just crossed my mind. Whoever the Bengals take with 31, and if it's an offensive lineman, and if it's somebody who they want to be a starter – that's going to be an insane amount of pressure when you're talking about in 2020, your quarterback suffered a season-ending knee injury. And then in 2021, he was sacked 70 times and you didn't win the Super Bowl because of your offensive line play. And, and how does that affect your development moving forward? So I think that the Bengals do have the cap space and they need to use that cap space. And, you know, if they, no matter what happens in the draft, I think that would be a very good idea. Last question uh, before we on the offensive line, before we address some of the other 
issues is probably too strong of a word, but some of the other items on the to-do list for Cincinnati. You mentioned Jackson Carmen. Uh, it's really hard when a guy struggles out of the gates as a high pick and he was a top of the second round pick to envision that he'll go from a guy who looked overmatched at times to a player that's going to become a starter and a good one going forward because they believed enough in him to use that premium pick last year. But would you err more towards the side of glimmers of hope for Jackson Carmen as a long-term starter? And if so, where do you think he slides in? You know, he played, obviously played some guard this year, was a college tackle. What sort of fits or where do you think is the best fit for him? Or do you think we're past the point of even bother of it even mattering? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question, Field. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's going to be up to Jackson Carmen. I think they, they, uh, he, you know, they liked the the raw talent that he had, and, and Jackson was in a tough spot having to go from left tackle at Clemson to playing guard in the NFL. I'd say not an easy transition. Not only mm. are you switching sides of the field, but you're switching, you know, positions. Tackle and guard are, are vastly different in the techniques that you need. Uh, but you know, I think that it says volumes that Jackson Carmen at the end of OTAs was a first. He was slotted as a starting right guard. And then when he came back for training camp was on the third, was the third stringer. Uh, I think sure. that there was a message being sent there. And, and, you know, the fact that, you know, I think there were some questions about his work ethic and, and what it looks like in the offseason. I think he needs to really take this offseason seriously and, and show that the Bengals show the Bengals that, Hey, I can be a starter. I think this is up to him. I think they, they believe he's got the talent to be a guard and they projected him as a guard in the NFL. Um, and the Bengals need him to, to play that way. And I think that if, if that doesn't work, that does, you know, I think the Bengals need to have an idea of what he can do, like, you know, moving forward. I think, you know, if, if Jackson Carmen can work himself into that position, great. But if you're Cincinnati and you're in the window that you're in now, the championship window, you need to know what your personnel is capable of before you go into free agency and into the draft because you can't afford an offseason where you're hoping that a guy, like you said, you know, who, who didn't really make it work as a rookie and you saw some maybe troubling signs, that he'll be able to fix those things in a second season. At this point, you can't have time because you're not rebuilding anymore. You're in a win now mode. You know, there are guys, even on the Bengals roster, who have turned the corner. And I, I don't think it was ever probably as grave as it has, or at least it appears right now with Jackson Carmen. But remember, CJ Uzama during, and I know this was well before you were covering the team, but there was a time early in his career where drops were a major issue and people were wondering whether, you know, he would be an expendable player one day. Now he is a priority free agent for them after his three-year deal for $18 million is set to expire in a little, in just about a month. Um, so the offensive line will be really interesting. It's going to be a talking point all offseason. Again, Ben underscore baby on Twitter. You'll find everything related to the Bengals and their offensive line for those kind of conversations, but elsewhere on the roster. I don't think this is a team that has a ton of needs because, again, they represented the AFC in the Super Bowl. But beyond the offensive line, whether it's, for depth purposes, whether it's for starting purposes or otherwise, whether it's a look ahead to not necessarily for 2022, but for 2023 and beyond, what strikes you as a couple of items they have to check off the to-do list? This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. 
You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, figuring out what they want to do at outside corner is going to be big. I, I would imagine that, you know, Trey Wayne seems like a likely cap casualty. Uh, the fact that, you know, he's, a, you know, I believe it was like a $15 million cap hit going into 2022. Yeah. And he was not even your third string cornerback, uh, you know, when, when Chidabe Awuzie got hurt. Uh, in the Super Bowl, they they trotted out I believe Trey Flowers instead of Trey Waynes, and uh, it's just it's unfortunate for Trey because uh, Trey Waynes because you know is a guy who suffered a an off season injury in 2020, missed the entire season. 2021 has a hamstring issue, goes down, just was never healthy enough to play, and and he it's obviously something he wanted to do. You ask anybody, he was excited to play in Cincinnati after the Bengals signed him, former first round pick uh, for with Minnesota for four years, but. You know, I think that figuring out what you want to do there right now, you have Eli Apple as that slotting, uh, as that starting outside corner. Hmm. Are you happy with what Apple gives you, uh, or do you want to in- improve the depth there? You know, safety I think is an interesting position because you have Jesse Bates, who I think we we is it going to be in position for the franchise tag, and that seems like the uh, a good option for the Bengals right now. You know, I, I think that. It would, it would be wise to give him an extension because if you're going to pay a premium for Jesse, you'd rather get one of his prime years now instead of maybe a year on the back end or, or you know, maybe you'll get more bang for your buck in that regard. Uh, but Von Bell, uh, you know, is a, is a veteran player. You want to see that pipeline uh, be extended. And, and honestly, a, a position that I, I kind of think would be not be bad is wide receiver. I mean, mm, everyone I knows their, t- their top three are very good in Tyler Boyd, uh, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. But after that, there is significant drop-off. They do not have, I believe, a quality wide receiver four that you can trust. And if something does happen um, you know, to one of those guys, an injury, or you feel like they could be a trade asset, you don't really have a lot of depth there. And so I think like getting a good, solid fourth wide receiver would be good for the Bengals. Yeah, Auden Tate, a guy who was unable to bounce back from an injury late in the season, had the practice window open and then didn't end up being activated to the roster. I always keep in mind with Cincinnati – players that are now extension eligible. If I had to size up that 2019 draft class, I suppose Jonah Williams could be an extension candidate, but I feel like three years in, there's still a few more questions than answers. He's going to want to get paid like a premium left tackle. Maybe Jermaine Pratt is an example of a guy who would be itching for an extension, is extension eligible this offseason, their third-year linebacker. I should say just finished his third season. Uh, so it feels like there are a couple of roster, not issues, but again, just sort of items to uh, examine this offseason. They have some stability, though, at coaching. You mentioned that Zach Taylor was given an extension earlier this offseason. I want to ask you about Joe Burrow. And I know that right now, I think some of the rhetoric is going to be hyperbolic because that's the way the world works, right? Is Joe Burrow the best quarterback in the NFL? Is he you know, the face of the league. You know what? I don't know. I don't I mean, I have an opinion, but I don't really care. Right. Like I just think Joe Burrow is clearly a quarterback that you can win with uh, and you can win with in a major way in this league. But there are maybe offensive line enthusiasts who will tell you that like at some point, the sacks are not simply a byproduct of the offensive line and the protection but the quarterback himself, I don't know how closely you've watched each of those 70 sacks, but do you believe that this offseason there is something to be said for Joe Burrow in evaluating, like, are there plays where you need to abandon the never-say-die attitude and just 
take the minus five or take the incomplete pass or take the whatever play and to avoid that sack, probably in more, most cases, I just, you know, just sort of chucking it in the dirt or throwing it out of bounds. Is that a part of his game that he's talked about and you think could be an area for slight improvement this year? Yeah, you know, it's something that he addressed head on even as a rookie. You know, mm-hmm. he said, I got to get rid of the ball faster. And, he, you know, I, watching him in his, you know, in training camp in 2020, I think that was something that was readily apparent that, you know, he was holding the ball a little bit too long. In 2021, I thought he got better at that, to be quite honest. I thought that he was able to gauge the situations a little bit better. Uh, but that's kind of the part of the issue with Burrow is that he, he's a guy who wants to extend plays. He wants to be explosive. They were not that in 2020. And I think he's a guy who believes that he can take on contact and get away from defensive linemen in hopes of of making a big play down the field. And, and the I mean, to be fair, the Bengals almost won a Super Bowl that way because if he's able to uh, evade Aaron Donald, uh, and find Jamar Chase down the field. The Bengals are probably Super Bowl champions, you know, with Jamar Chase streaking open down the right sideline. But it was Aaron Donald who had him and not another defensive tackle. So I, I think that Burrow, you know, that may be a point of emphasis for him. It's it's unclear what he'll want to work on this offseason. There's always one thing he really focuses and hones in on. Uh, but I, I think that would be good. I, I think that his internal clock has gotten better uh, over time. And, and I think that, you know, when you look at it, you know, luckily we have the pass rush win rate, uh, pass block win rate metric, excuse me, which which for those who don't know, it's basically if, if you're if you win a block or lose a block in two point five seconds, uh, which is also a, you know, the, the threshold for what the NFL deser- determines as a quick throw. Um, that means you won or lost. And the Bengals ranked 30th in pass block win rate. So, you know, otherwise, if, if the if Burrow wasn't getting the ball out quick. You know, more often than not, they were taking an L and pass blocking. So I think there's definitely a nuanced conversation. There's probably more that Zach Taylor can do to help him as well in terms of the concepts and schemes. Um, but I, I do think that Burrow has some, some, you know, some things he needs to improve on. But like you said earlier, I, I think that he has proven that he is a franchise quarterback and he's somebody who can – the Bengals can win with at a high level. And that's not always – as we've seen with, with Baker Mayfield, with Jared Goff and other guys over the years, that's not always the case with the number one overall pick. Yeah, number one does not necessarily immediately mean that you're going to vault into Super Bowl contention. And the Bengals happen to do so faster than any other team that drafted a quarterback number one as Joe Burrow made it there, or the team made it there in just Joe Burrow's second season. Before we say goodbye here, Ben, I'll ask you two things. Any, And if your, your brain is probably on overload after a very long six or so months covering this team consecutively, is there anything else like a storyline that you think needs to be monitored for the Bengals this offseason or no? And the second part is this is a draft podcast. Uh, Duke Tobin, who's not the general manager in title in Cincinnati, but is the general manager in terms, I would say, largely in terms of impact. Like, what can you tell us about the scouting staff? Because they've had some serious hits over these past couple of years. Like, it's been not just Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, right? I mean, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson, amongst the names that have really shined Evan McPherson from the draft. Yeah, you know, I think the big storyline is this offseason will be is, are, are the Bengals in position now to win big in the AFC North for years to come? I think mm. there was a there was a, th- a theory of you know what the AFC North looked like. That style of football was smash mouth, you know, run it. Um, you know, that's the kind of way you play in the Midwest. You know, and, it, and before I moved here, you, you know, reference. I think I'll, I'll let everybody know in the first five minutes I talked to them that I'm from the state of Texas. Um, <laughs> you know, we we have a certain way of playing football. Like we we play with a lot of receivers. We play in ten personnel. Like if we see a tight end, we're like, no, that guy's playing linebacker or edge rusher. Uh, we don't need that guy on the field. And and I find I found when I moved here to Cincinnati and, and saw more of you know and really studied the AFC North a little bit more. 
it's it's interesting how how regional football can be in the way that you view the game. And Zach Taylor is from Oklahoma, you know, came from, you know, has a lot of spread concepts and, that, and you know, not really an air raid background, but what he did was a little interesting and it wasn't really immediately well received. And the fact that they went in with a lot of level 11, went in shotgun on short yardage situations, looked at manipulating the box and reading the numbers. Uh, this is all a very long winded way of saying, I think that the Bengals are because of the way they view the game, they may be in a position to maybe catch the rest of the AFC North off guard mm. because they've got a lot of speed and weapons that, you know, where teams are built to stop the run and it's been a run heavy league uh, or division the last few years, uh, even with, you know, guys like Lamar Jackson who can sling it as well as anybody in the NFL. Uh, I, I think that, you know, given the pressure that the Bengals have put on the division, they may be in a good spot moving forward. And in terms of the scouting department, I think you've got to give Duke Tobin and that, that office a lot of credit, you know, that they've done a really good job in hitting on, on third and fourth round picks, you know, Jermaine Pratt in 2019, you have Logan Wilson in, in 2020, uh, Evan McPherson going and getting a kicker that ended up being huge and really changed the way that you did things on offense. So there are a lot of pieces that they've done well with, but, you know, I think the interview for Duke, I think he's going to be measured now on how well they're able to round out this offensive line and if they can capitalize on this win now mentality that they're going to have because Burrow is going to be under a rookie deal for the next couple of years. You've got the majority of the cash on that rookie deal already paid. So this is now the window for the Bengals to go out and win that Super Bowl. It's it's not easy, obviously, to make it back to the Super Bowl, but the Bengals do seem to have a lot of chips at their disposal to potentially get back there in the next couple of years. One thing is for certain. Well, two things are for certain. The AFC looks primed for an incredible decade ahead with all these good young quarterbacks. The other thing is that as long as Ben Baby is covering the Bengals, no one will do it better. Uh, Ben, really appreciate you. I know it's been a whirlwind few weeks. We love having you here on First Draft, and you never know. We may bother you again at some point here before the draft. Hey, Field, anytime you want to bother, just holler at me. And it's always a pleasure. I'll send barbecue as well, which with Ben, you got to be very specific what you said. Don't send anything that's not from the state of Texas. Uh, Ben, baby, great stuff as always. A reminder, the first draft is back on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, live streamed. You name it, Twitter, YouTube. If you want to go on the ESPN Facebook page, the ESPN app, you can find it at all of those various channels.